Hello everybody, my name is Ray. Welcome to the Evangelical Dark Web. Today we're going to be talking about the Gospel Coalition, their top 10 theological stories of the year list. And this list just shows how out of touch this organization is. And this is despite the fact that they have an extremely large online presence. They dominate the niche that they are in. They are much bigger than other like-minded sites. So it's a weird thing to see, but this is where we're at. This is the state of the church, and it definitely explains a lot about the state of the church. One week they're arguing that uh, Ruth and Naomi were a civil union. The next week they're coming out with this list that we're going to go through today that's very out of touch and not founded in reality. So... We are going to first uh, talk about if you are new, definitely subscribe to the channel and drop the like button because likes help with the YouTube algorithms. And if you want to support this ministry, we have a Patreon-like system at evangelicaldarkweb.org slash join. That's linked in the description below. That's a way to uh, help us out. But you can subscribe to the newsletter. That is completely free or the Telegram. All that's linked in the description below. So this is Colin Hansen's article. Colin Hansen's like the head honcho or one of the head honchos over at the Gospel Coalition. He's like one of their chief editors. Uh, my top 10 theolog theology stories of 2022. Uh, it's got the Queen, uh, Xi, and then Putin uh, in paint and Photoshop, I guess. So anyway, uh, we're going to skip to the top 10. Number 10, what's next after liberalism? Uh, who would have thought drag queens would bring about the end of the liberal political order? Trans momentum seemed to slow this year as the moral foundation shifted on fairness with women's sports threatened and harm uh, with women endangered by biological men in prisons and domestic violence shelters. Even so, given how trans arguments threaten the building blocks of life, it's no coincidence that political debate now challenge the assumption that lib that liberalism preserve social stability. If society can no longer distinguish male from female, how can we reorient public life towards truth? Now, I'm not really big on that description because, again, women's sports is a side issue on this major issue, but uh, nonetheless... It is a top 10 issue. I, I think this is a top 10 issue, maybe even a top 5 issue. Uh, I'll do my own list of top 10 stories, uh, church stories of the year. And we'll see where this lands on it. But this is a top 10 story, but it's all the way at the bottom of the list. So not a good placement. I, I think we're pretty out of touch already. Uh, number nine, no slack scene in onslaught of mass shootings. Uh, nowhere in the United States is safe. You could be watching a popular parade on 4th of July or walking with your friends to church or eating with your friends while welcoming a stranger or, of course, just sitting in school. But you better prepare your church for how to respond to an active shooter and talk to your kids about mass shootings. Okay, so far that's not bad i don't think this is a more the i don't think this is a bigger theology story than the 10th issue on this list and talk uh so 
far, Christians haven't mustered a, any unified response to the epidemic of violence. Debates over gun control may help. They won't. But the spiritual problems seem to run deeper than the American political system can reach. Now, again, not a good paragraph because we could have talked about, you know, pharmaceuticals. We could have talked about taking God out of schools. We could have talked about a lot of things, but it kind of lumps everything under one category. I think this is a pretty, uh, I, I don't think this is a top 10 issue, maybe top 15, but this isn't a top 10 story. Uh, the creation of soft targets, you know, happens, but What's not on this list is anything else to do with crime. I think crime is a pressing concern for many Americans and even many people globally because crime rates kind of go up globally uh, and kind of can go down globally at times as well. And you don't see anything other, other than mass shootings the target of a conversation about crime from the Gospel Coalition. So I think that's a little out of touch. Number eight is where... Uh, the Gospel Coalition just flat-out lies. This is a flat-out lie here. SBC report reveals top-level abuse cover-up. Okay, I've read the report. Where is it in the report? It's bad news when top church leaders spent nearly two decades covering up reports of child molesters and other abusers. And by cover-up, they mean had a list of public domain names in a database, which is, you know, a collection of newspaper scraps and names. That, that was the cover-up. It's better... That's the cover-up that was revealed, I should say. It's better that we know about the cover-up because other leaders and scores of other Christians demanded accountability. Anyone can profess to believe in the authority and sufficiency of Scripture. The truest test is obeying the command, the commands in the Word from the Lord. And again, the report didn't reveal that. The, the only thing that wasn't previously known that the report revealed was the Johnny Hunt allegations, which, again, nowhere does the report come close to proving. There's no real evidence presented other than, you know, uh, circumstantial details that don't paint the pic. They paint the picture of two people interacting, but not what that interaction was. So we don't have any hard evidence of what happened with Johnny Hunt. It was improper for sure. They both admitted to that, or both sides say that, but we don't know to what extent was it, and it wasn't an abuse, it was an assault. So there is a distinction that matters when talking about child molesters, which this paragraph is about child molesters, but the report focuses mainly on Jennifer Lyell, who's being sued for defamation, along with Guidepost, and uh, Johnny Hunt. Those were the two biggest uh, things in the report. And this d list of names that was public domain. So if a church did a background check, they would have flagged those people. And many of the situations that they talked about in the database were actually self-resolving. So I think that is a top 10 issue, but not the way that they frame it. But the way that they frame it is out of touch with reality. It's like they didn't even read the report. They just read uh, someone else's notes of the report. And that someone else had very bad intentions. Number seven, Queen Elizabeth II dies. Uh, let's hear them out. 
While Queen Elizabeth died, or the second, died on September 8th, 2022. Wow. That was only, that, that feels like six months ago. Uh, grief uh, may grow later this month when she's not available to deliver the customary Christian or Christmas message. True to her character as monarch since 1952, Queen Elizabeth II offered calm, clear testimony to the miracle of the Incarnation. The absence of her leadership reminds us of the weakening of Christianity in the United Kingdom and the affiliated nations in the last 70 years. Her pious example didn't arrest that decline, of course. We've yet to discover the breakthrough for reaching the post-Christian world that emerged during her lifetime. So, this is not a top 10 issue. And here's why. First of all, Queen Elizabeth being the head of a church is a bad thing. You know, male headship in the church was established in Scripture for a reason, and the Gospel Coalition supposedly believes in that. Supposedly, like, uh, and Queen Elizabeth, I don't think she was a solid example of Christian leadership. She just wasn't. There's not really any evidence other than her pious posture and behavior, but in terms of policy, doesn't exist. Uh, and she avoided a lot of hot button issues purposely. Now, what should be mentioned here is if they were going to go with Queen Elizabeth II dying, they should have mentioned that uh, Charles, I believe, is the king now of England, and how he is a great reset type of dude. He wants to defend all faith rather than the faith. He, he, that's kind of his messaging. He's going to be a lot more pantheistic or universalist in his approach to his role as king and the King of England and the uh, head of the Anglican Church of England. So that uh, that's actually the story here if you were going to go with this. That was the theological story with this event, but the Gospel Coalition doesn't have that. It's like, oh, she was such a good example, and now she's gone. That, that's not, they, they didn't even do that right. So that's not a top 10 issue nonetheless. So number six, and I like this, but again, they're on the wrong side of this. Colin Hansen is on the wrong side of this. Pastors blamed in the ongoing reckoning for 2020. Two years later, we're still sifting through the political, racial, and scientific wreckage of 2020. Among Christians, pastors are taking more than their fair share of blame from politically motivated pundits. It doesn't help that too many high-profile pastors earn that disrepute with their spiritual abuse. We know how to train pastors in exegesis and systematic theology. We need to ensure that they know how to lead with conviction amid opposition and shepherd their flocks without domineering. And this is, you know, at first they're like taking the pastor's side for... Uh, their abuses of authority, and then it kind of seems to walk that back ever so slightly, but not enough and not by any reasonable example or uh, status. I'm not going to say that they're, you know, they're trying to paint 
play with uh, appease both sides of this, but they're really not. Uh, I think they're trying to to save face, but they aren't. So, yeah, I, I think this is a top 10 issue. However, again, as I title the video, they're out of touch because they're the baddies here. Colin Hansen, I believe it was Colin Hansen, uh, and Joe Lehman wrote a book on church gatherings and the essential, uh, the essentials of church gathering, how it's essential to church gather to not forsake the assembly of the saints. They wrote an entire book about that in 2021 after they criticized people like John MacArthur for doing so, after they modeled sinful behavior in their own churches. And now they want to pretend like they're the good guys. But they're the baddies. Uh, locking down your church was a sinful decision. You could, you were either deliberately sinful or you were tricked into being sinful but it was a sinful decision and there's no excuse for it you should have seen there was enough information available at the time to have made the right decision and people like myself were calling it right the entire time and you know there's the lockdowns there's the mandates and the distancing and the masking but you know what about all the jabbing that was promoted by people in the pastorate uh, the people that are influenced by Francis Collins, people like Tim Keller, founder of the Gospel Coalition, uh, who is a friend of the Biologos ministry, people like that. This is, again, a way to save face because they were the baddies for over two years. This is a top 10 issue, I believe. But they're the baddies here. Can't repeat that enough. Uh, number five, two Christian colleges abandon biblical ethics. I don't think this is a top five story. Uh, Calvin University and Eastern University didn't surprise many when they decided in late 2022 to abandon biblical ethics in favor of sexual revolution. Some faculty and alumni at these schools have worked for years to determine historic Orthodox teaching. Some political pundits and church leaders will continue to make peace with the newly ascendant progressive powers. The story uh, at Calvin, at least, might not be finished as, the, as younger leaders in the Christian Reformed Church reaffirmed biblical ethics this summer. That's not true. That's a lie. Uh, the United Methodist Church's sluggish splintering offers a warning of waiting too long to reform the schools. So let's break that down. So Eastern University, fun fact, fun fact. I used to go to uh, a Fuge camp, which I believe is a Southern Baptist thing. And it was at Eastern University. And even at the time, my pastor pointed out that... Uh, Eastern University was a theologically askew university. That was pointed out at the time. And so that's going back over, that's going back like 10 years ago. So that's not new. And Calvin University, they've been liberal for how long? 
I don't actually know the answer to that question, but the Christian Reformed Church did not reaffirm biblical ethics. They reaffirmed side B theology, completely different. Side B theology is not biblical ethics. Side B theology denies the sin of homosexuality as it relates to sinful desires. It wants to say, you know, because in Christianity, sinful desires are sin, and you need to repent of your sinful desires. We all need to do this. That's why the Bible instructs us to take each thought captive. And they want to cut out, carve out a special place for homosexuality as it relates to that. That doesn't exist. So, uh, they did not reaffirm biblical ethics this summer. That's a lie. I did a video on that, but I believe it related to Al Mohler uh, talking about it or someone else talking about this event. So... This is not a top 10 issue in my book. This is just every day that end, a day that ends in Y. This is normal. Uh, number four, Dobbs' decision allows abortion bans for the first time in nearly 50 years. Regardless of the political backlash, the Dobbs' decision that overturned Roe v. Wade deserves to be celebrated. It's a day that many doubted would ever come. In response to the shocking but just decision, several states with the most abortion with the most abortions have doubled down on their murderous intentions. Crisis pregnancy centers have been firebombed with little effort from unsympathetic authorities to apprehend the perpetrators. The question is now the question now is whether pro-life activists will negotiate political compromises that ban some or even many abortions, or if they will go for everything and end up with nothing outside of a few conservative states. Uh, especially in states that ban most surgical abortions, churches will have many opportunities to put their theology of life to work. Early reports show a 6% decrease in abortions nationwide. This is a top 10 issue. This is a top 5 issue easily. Uh, I, I would probably put around number one, maybe number two. So they got it down to number four, and I, I think neoconservatism's why it's number four, as we're going to see with the top three. So here's the thing. I They hint at the issue of the abolitionist approach with versus the incremental approach. They hint at that. They don't hint at the culpability of the mother debate. But this is a top... I think this is a top two issue. I'm not sure really what unseats it at the moment, but uh, they're not completely out of touch on this one, but I think they're underselling it. They're underselling the theological importance of this incident. So number three, Iran erupts in revolution. I don't see how this is a top five issue. The world's most populous theocracy is no stranger to revolution. Perhaps like earlier revolts, the Islamic government will prevail over protesters demanding freedom. But today, Iran has changed in one significant way. No evangelical movement has been growing has been growing faster in recent years. I guess they mean to say than Iran. 
Even though these Christians don't know whether they should join the protest, they pray for justice and better government. And I made a comment like that in the last video that I'm not sure where Christians are on this issue in Iran. Because is this movement a feminist movement? If so, then Christians would probably want to stay away from that. Is it an actual movement about freedom? Then they might be inclined to join. I So it's tough because, again, what's... Uh, what is the dominant grievance? And the dominant grievance appears to be more about hijabs and stuff. And I'm not sure Christians are eager to uh, burn hijabs uh, to... Uh, I don't think that's that's the cause that's going to bring Christians on board in mass. And apparently the Gospel Coalition uh, has hinted at that as well. We probably won't know until 2023 or beyond whether the church in Iran will enjoy greater religious freedom. Regardless, God hasn't been hindered thus far by even this repressive regime. This is not a top five theological issue because like they said, they don't know the Christians don't know whether they should join the protest or not. So because there's not a clear response, because there's not a um, definitive position, this isn't a top five issue. I don't think it's a top ten issue. Uh, number two, China reverts to authoritarianism on the brink on brink of war with Taiwan. Now, this was completely uh, smoke blown up, you know, people's skirts all year long. Was that China would invade Taiwan, and that invasion was supposed to happen in September or October or something like that? Because, you know, it's like D Day, where you know America the Allies had to invade Normandy on a certain time frame because of the tide and stuff like that. And then Erwin Rommel knows this, but takes a vacation anyway. Uh, so anyway, China, they had their window, the window passed, and I don't think t China was ever going to really do it. Uh, now, the re let, let's read their thing, and then I'll respond to that. Uh, the Beijing War... Uh, Winter Olympics gave us an ominous preview of the year ahead when Russia's Vladimir Putin watched the opening ceremonies on February 4 with China's Xi Jinping. Russia's faltering invasion of Ukraine may have tempered China's ambitions in neighboring Taiwan. Regardless, China's zero-COVID policy has already strengthened an authoritarian government determined to rule every aspect of life. Recent protests indicate, however, that the government may have finally overreached. While the Chinese church has grown and matured, Xi's regime has taken a heavy toll. Xi's further consolation of, consolidation of power on display at October's Communist Party Congress suggests we'll continue to learn from Chinese pastors and their theology of suffering. So, uh, there's a lot wrong with this. And I'll just go with the fact that I don't think Russia's invasion is really faltering. I think Russia is actually trying to drag this out. Uh, and, you know, let, let's use a Chinese example here. Uh, China would be very familiar with The Art of War, written by Sun Tzu. And The Art of War has a fatal error in its arguments. And that error is that Sun Tzu argues that no nation benefits from a prolonged war. That's not true. That, that is not true. 
And I think more often than not, there are instances where this is true for both belligerents or all belligerents, but more often than not, there is a side of a conflict that benefits from a prolonged war. And that is Russia in this case. That was Russia in World War II. That was the Allies in World War II because Germany couldn't sustain a lengthy war. They did not have the economy to sustain a lengthy war. The uh, British economy would have outlasted them. I think Britain would have won even if America didn't join. It just would have taken much longer. But uh, Russia is benefiting from a prolonged conflict because Western nations are pouring money into Ukraine. They're loaning money Ukraine, inflationary loans to Ukraine that Ukraine is apparently never going to pay back. I think it's pretty obvious that they're never going to be able to pay back these loans. And they're not even following the terms of the loans. There was a European uh, Parliament person or whatever that said that these loans uh, were contingent upon democracy in Ukraine, which obviously isn't is a myth. Uh, you, you got less freedom in Ukraine than most uh, European countries, probably also Russia included in that. But I think Russia is benefiting from a prolonged invasion. They're not in any rush to take Ukraine and their war objectives. I think they they are the insurgency because they're bleeding Ukraine's forces, you know, they're inflicting high casualties. And who knows, maybe they're going to use the winter to mobilize a, an offensive with more frozen terrain. But I to the to the normie it appears like a faltering invasion and I think they have had some setbacks, but I think they want to drag this out because the longer this goes on, the weaker the West looks. I mean, now we're talking about sending Patriot missile systems in Ukraine. If Russia destroys those, that'd be quite the embarrassment for the United States. Uh, so anyway, then we can talk about China's zero COVID policy. And this is probably the main reason why China did not invade Taiwan if for no other reason than the fact that the Chinese military, what experience do they have? What has the Chinese military done in the last 50 years? Other than like tank storm Tiananmen Square? What, what have they done? What experience do they have carrying off amphibious invasions? Uh... So that paired with their own internal struggle, because I don't think China is completely only and only using this uh, because they're and by this, I mean the authoritarian crackdown. They're not only going authoritarian uh, because they're wanting to be authoritarian. They're not just cracking down on dissidents here. They're, I think, true believers. They, they've kind of brainwashed themselves on Branch Covidianism. They're turning that into a state religion. And they've dialed that up to 11 on multiple dials. So this is not a top two issue because this didn't happen. China did not uh, invade Taiwan or invade Taiwan. They didn't come close to invading tai Taiwan. And their revert to authoritarianism might be a top 10 issue, but it should be a top 10 issue in and of itself, not with the Taiwan uh, 
story in the backdrop. That's not relevant. It, it just isn't. So number one is Russia invades Ukraine in the first major land war in Europe since World War II. And what theological implic and I guess the theological implications aren't evangelical in nature. Theological implications emerged immediately when Russia invaded neighboring Ukraine on February 24. Seminary presidents in other post-Soviet states joined their Ukrainian brothers in denouncing the Russian attack. You know, it's funny how we act like that seminaries overseas are better than seminaries here in the United States. High doubtfulness that that is true. I, I bet the same crap that's at the you know, that there's a seminary, it's like the, the Baptist or evangelical seminary in Ukraine they keep talking about. I wonder how much theological liberalism is taught at that uh, seminary. More or less than the average in the United States. I, I'm curious about that. Uh, some church leaders who stayed to serve paid the highest price. Russian President Vladimir Putin justified the invasion in part by appealing to the supposed destruction of the Ukrainian Orthodox Church of the Moscow Patriarchate. Patriarchate. Uh, but that church body has since disaffiliated from Moscow after Russian Orthodox Patriot, Patriarch Kirill blessed the war. Western support of Ukraine so far has been strong, wavering only somewhat as energy-driven inflation imperils the global economy. As it so often is the case in Eastern Europe, winter will be a war of wills. And I feel like he's used that line before. Like, has he used this line before? Like, maybe last year when we talked about this? Uh, I, I don't... Or one of the last times we talked about this. So, anyway... Uh, beef between... Ukrainian and Russian Orthodox, which, you know, Putin might have been referring to the language laws in Ukraine because Ukraine passed language laws that basically, you know, say you have to speak Ukrainian in a public forum. So maybe uh, that was the uh, beef rather than uh, debates about authority, which usually is, which probably might also be the factor here. But Ukraine is also targeting some certain Orthodox churches, uh, the Ukrainian kind, not the Russian Orthodox kind. So that's not mentioned here. That should be mentioned here. But this is not a top theological story of 2022 because, you know, two Eastern Orthodox, are they denominations? Because, you know, everyone likes to talk about how many evangelical denominations there are. But how many Eastern Orthodox denominations there are there? Uh, do those count as separate denominations? Who knows at this point? But uh, this is not a top 10 issue. That The beef between two different Eastern Orthodox churches is not a top 10 issue. It just isn't. So anyway, conspicuously absent, we have the Frankfurt Declaration. Uh and some other stuff. I'll do my own video on this type of subject. Uh, thank you for sticking around this long. If you stuck around this long and haven't subscribed yet or dropped the like button, please do so. Let me know what you think about what I think in the comment section below. Have a blessed day and I will catch you on the next one.